the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to the second half of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me today are roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And uh, longtime uh, Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. Henry, welcome back. Thank you. I'm sorry I confused you on that election at the council. <laughs> but that's what I read, and that was from several years ago. I didn't know. I thought they had updated all the voting in Genesee County. You have to be careful, Henry, because I'm so easy. Yeah. I'm very easily confused. <laughs> um, Thank you for clarifying that for yeah. me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> joining our roundtable is uh, former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Dane, welcome back, and thanks for being here this week. Hello again. Thank you. Um, voting at some polling places in Flint, Detroit, was delayed Tuesday morning after workers failed to show up and open them at 7 a.m. for the primary election. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said her team prepared for something like that to happen and had election workers on hand to fill gaps. Um, do you think the Secretary of State was expecting some no-shows at polling places by staff because of COVID-19? Well, it's a, it's a logical assumption. I mean, a lot of the poll workers are older to begin with, and the virus is out there. So, you know, in fact, I, one thing that I wonder in terms of the poll, the whole poll workers arrangement, with all the absentee voters, if you're a a, a city or county clerk, you really got a tough call to decide how many workers you put in the field and how many you have back in the office to count the absentees because you're never quite sure what to expect, how many people are going to show up in person and how many are going to use the mail-in process. At least at this point, it's kind of guesswork. So I, I think there's, if you're a clerk uh, on whatever level, you had a, some really tough calls to make about where you assign your personnel. Yeah, that's Well, true. you know, there were some formulas already set out for people to follow. One was the social distance that's uh, yeah. problem, and that was going to reduce the activity, the volume of people flowing through uh, the polling place, and also the slowdown of the activity that goes from one process to the other as you go through the voting cycle there. So I, I yeah. noticed that 
it, it was it was sparsely located inside. But when you figure only thirteen percent of the people voted, you would expect that kind of uh, disparity. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up, Tom. We had we had a front row seat for that in, in our household. Uh, my my wife, uh, Dr. Carrie Boothwalling, who we had on the show before, she actually signed herself up to be a poll worker for the first time. So, uh, oh really? She went through the trainings and was at uh, another cut uh, all day uh, yesterday from you know five thirty a.m. until about ten o'clock at night, and I think it's something we. We really do have to talk about not not so much because of the contentious politics, even though we know that's part of the, the moment we're living in. But but the pandemic, you know, it makes it makes conducting an election very challenging, and and this is going to be one of the tests of our democracy is if people are willing to set aside their normal daily activities for for one day, and and dedicate that time, you know, to the country and. To our democracy, because November's general election is going to be out, uh, three, four times busier than what we experienced here on, uh, you know, on yesterday. Yeah, I heard a lot of clerks and and even uh, the Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson uh, making reference to yesterday oh, being a way to help plan for November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to get some idea of what to plan for. Um, so you're absolutely right, Dane. Um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is telling state agencies to review allocation of their resources to prioritize enforcement of COVID-19 safety mandates, including limits on building capacity and the mandate that people wear masks inside Michigan businesses. That includes suspending the license of businesses that do not comply with mask regulations or other regulations related to COVID-19 mitigation, uh, according to the uh, executive directive. In fact, she's uh, talking about the specifics of some of that, I think, as we speak. Um, But uh, is there a carrot the governor could use instead of uh, carrying a big stick? You know that might be politically might be wiser if she could if there if there were a carrot out there, some positive reinforcement, state benefits, or something. I but uh, yeah, she gets so much blowback when she has to play the play hardball. Yeah, it's important though. I, I I don't I don't know that there's really a way we want to say hey you know enforce this law and then get get money or, or get a benefit. I think the the message needs to be that. You know, we're, we're, we are a, a country of law and order, and when yeah. the, the chief executive of a state says that we're in a public health emergency and, and everyone needs to conduct themselves accordingly, that's not an optional um, choice for a county sheriff or uh, you know, a city police chief. We, we need to get people on board um, if we're going to defeat this coronavirus. I, I just get really disheartened when I've seen people make these political stands to say, well, I'm not going to enforce this or I'm not going to do that. Imagine a county sheriff doing that for any other law right? any other right. executive order. Um, I, I think it's, it's dangerous territory for local officials to be deciding which, which laws they, they care to enforce. 
an interesting, si- you, an interesting yeah. sidebar to that. I was talking with uh, Kurt Common from, uh, he lives in Tokyo. He's from here originally. And I was asking him about how people are handling the pandemic in, in Japan. And I was uh, fascinated to find out that the Japanese constitution prohibits the government from ordering people into lockdown. Hmm. And but but yet the flip side of, <laughs> the flip side of that is exactly yeah. you're exactly right, Paul. Is that culturally, if if public officials or government, uh, not just government officials, but medical professionals and so on, if they advise certain types of of um, mitigating uh, behaviors, closures, etc., the people just comply. Yeah, well, what strikes me is that, that so many other countries who have followed directives of one kind or another have done dramatically better than we have in terms of f- both flattening the curve and, and minimizing the cases and the deaths and so forth out of the, the COVID virus. Uh, the divisiveness of our politics has certainly made this in many ways a lot worse. Well, that, that brings up that the House and Senate leadership announced they'd be canceling in-person legislative activity this week after State Senator Tom Barrett, a Republican from Charlotte, yeah. tested positive for COVID-19. <clears throat> no voting or committee hearings will take place this week in either chamber. Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, a Republican from Clark Lake, is encouraging all members of the Senate Republican Caucus to get tested. The Senate will cancel committees in session for this week, August 3rd through 7th, to allow adequate time for execution of protocols and receipt of results for individuals who choose to be tested, he said in a statement. We all wish Senator Barrett a speedy recovery. Is the legislature, um, and this is true of, of some other people too in other walks of life, but is the legislature too anxious to return to normal and not adopting measures that would allow them to function and keep the risk reduced for the longer haul? Uh, it may well be. You know, as you were reading that, I was I was wondering, I, 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 hasn't Michigan passed some kind of uh, <clears throat> law or regulation that allows local governmental bodies to meet by way of Zoom? Um, I, I think that's been the case for city councils and county commissions and school boards and things. Could they simply apply that to the state legislature? Well, I know there have been some committee meetings and other things done. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe I think so. maybe not official meetings, but some of the work meetings that have been done by Zoom. Because I know uh, uh, Republican yeah, I Senator think. Ken Horn was telling me about some that he'd participated in. Yeah, and and um, and there have been uh, some things where they've practiced social distancing in the House, and and worked in in rotating shifts to vote. You know, so many in the chamber at a time. And I, I think maybe like a lot of people around Michigan and around the country, for that matter, we've seen it in several other states, including Florida, people just getting too anxious to go back to normal. And, and instead of easing into it and, and continuing to practice social distancing and wearing masks and so on, um they're they're just basically rushing to the beach yeah 
Yeah, I think that's. But uh, the there has to be a. But there has to be a balance between keeping the country working and uh, providing safety to our communities. There has to be a delicate balance between the two of them. One cannot function without the other. Well, like I said, I think a lot of other governmental bodies are meeting by way of Zoom. I, mean, I keep thinking there was some kind of recent regulation that the, the, the state legislature put, put, put out that allowed local bodies to meet by way of... of I think you're right, because school districts do that. I know the Monty Board has done this. that. The Flint City Council has done that in the last couple of, couple of months. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about other school boards. Is, is the Clio School Board meeting by way of Zoom lately, Henry? Do you know? Uh, yeah, that goes by uh, Zoom. And also, I'm on the State Water Resources Commission, and we meet oh, okay. by Zoom. Actually, it's not Zoom, it's a Zoom light. We meet by right, right. Microsoft, uh, well, program that owned by Microsoft. Yeah, the Democratic Party has its monthly meetings by way of Zoom the last couple of months. Well, U.S. Representative Justin Amash is calling it quits, at least for now. The West Michigan congressman and sharp critic of President Donald Trump, who abandoned the Republican Party a year ago and this year toyed with a run for president as a libertarian, posted on Twitter late Thursday that he doesn't plan to run for re-election to the U.S. House. I love representing our community in Congress. This is my choice, but I'm still going to miss it, Amash said in his post. Thank you for your trust. Um, actually, I, I came up with two questions for that. One is, will Amash be back? And uh, is is this the uh, political of, equivalent of saying, you can't fire me, I quit? Well, actually, it is. And uh, it looks like uh, a familiar, uh, a, a soon-to-be familiar name in Michigan politics, uh, Meyer, is now going yes. to likely be yes. stepping in to that yeah. seat. Um, and yeah. I, I do think Amash's re-election in a, you know, he may have fared okay in a general election, but he had to get through a primary first. And um, after coming out against the president, I just think he probably um, saw that it was easier to gracefully exit and maintain his 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 strengths and and his voice around principle which a lot of people respect i think on both sides of the aisle and i think amash will be interesting to watch but meyer is going to become a, a force in michigan politics i have no doubt about that i agree yeah it's, it's, it's certainly going to be a republican area there obviously and the the Meyer, the Meyer label is a big thing in michigan well but what's interesting about that is why meyer seems to be doing better than, um, you know, than, than other West Michigan uh, successful business people like the DeVos family. Um, whenever they've run, they've not fared particularly well, and there have, been some, there have been a couple of others of the big money people uh, from Grand Rapids and, and that area. But Meyer seems to be uh, holding up okay. Hey, we've got to take a break yeah. here. 
Um, we'll put a comma and uh, we'll be back and talk about much more on today's edition of Armchair Politics with Roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze in here. We'll be back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but we were, I've been married more, more than once. In fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra- tragic death. My first wife died from eating po- poison mushrooms. 
and my second wife died from a fr fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushroom. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and uh, former Flint Mayor Dan Walling at the round table. Um, welcome back, everybody. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, let's see. There's one other thing I wanted to get into before we start the national stuff, and that's uh, Michigan's uh, budget. Um, there was uh, an agreement. Let's see. I have to go back on my pages here. Um, the state will use a combination of savings from state employee furloughs, modest cuts to a range of state agencies, a $350 million shift from the rainy day fund, and a massive injection of federal relief money to eliminate a $2.2 billion deficit for the 2020 fiscal year, according to a plan detailed Wednesday. Budget Director Chris Cobb presented the plan to a joint meeting of the House and Senate Appropriations Committees. The Republican-controlled legislator is expected to quickly approve the plan after GOP leaders reached an agreement with Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who issued an executive order as part of the plan. This agreement didn't happen overnight, and it wasn't determined by any one party, Cobb told the committees. It took a lot of work but it closes the budget shortfall resulting from a massive drop in tax revenues while protecting the vulnerable and critical services, he said. Both the House and Senate committees approved the plan with overwhelming bipartisan votes, but Senator Jeff Irwin, a Democrat from Ann Arbor, voted no, concerned that the legislature may be kicking the can down the road to 2021 by spending all of its federal coronavirus funding in 2020, without making tough decisions on spending cuts or ways to increase revenues. Is Michigan going to get caught with its pants down going into next year's budget negotiations? I'm inclined to think that many states will be in the same situation. I, I mean, I'm, with, with, with what's happening with the economy, I'm really concerned about the, the revenues coming into state and local governments across the country. It's going to be really tough. You took my sentiments exactly. I was going to say Essentially, the same thing. Most yeah, and it's not a bad. Same problem. Go ahead, it's Dan. not a bad strategy because we just don't know what's coming next from the federal government in terms of relief and support. And I, I think right now you just want to, you know, manage things as best you can and, and try to minimize the the pain. So I, I think drawing on the rainy day fund and, and the federal relief that's available is a good idea. Um, we, I, I just think it's too hard to know what's coming next. Well, leading election forecasters have been steadily downgrading their ratings for Republican Senate candidates throughout the year, increasing the chances of a Democratic takeover uh, viewed as unlikely only a few months ago. Democrats now have 47 seats in the Senate, including two independents who caucus with them. To win the Senate majority, they would need to defend those 12 seats and pick up an additional four this November, or three if former Vice President Joe Biden, a Democrat, were to win the White House and could uh, 
sent his vice president to serve as a tie-breaking vote. Unlike in 2018, when Democrats were mostly defending seats, many of the Senate elections this year are in states that voted for President Donald Trump and are seats defended by Republican senators. Is the president's declining poll numbers largely attributed to the impact of his handling of the pandemic, um, dragging other Republicans down in their campaigns around the country? Dane, I think you kind of spoke to this earlier. Yes, I I think that that's true. I think it's reflective in the in the public opinion polling. You know, regardless of where each of us may may land ourselves, uh, the public is giving the president very poor ratings on his handling of the crisis. And and Democrats you know, have been slowly but surely building a strong team of candidates. That large presidential field. Uh, we have Hickenlooper running in Colorado. We have uh, Governor Bullock running for Senate in Montana. Those are very, very formidable, well-organized uh, candidates who have appealed to independent voters. So I think when you put all that together, it's it's possible that you know there could be enough Democratic Senate victory. That that's I think what makes this Senator Peters versus John James so. So important to watch. We we could be a battleground, probably not so much in the presidential, but we could be a battleground for that U.S. Senate um, balance of power here in Michigan. Yeah, I think you're right, Dane. I, I've always heard that if if unless Michigan can hang on to the state for Peters, that the chances for Democrats taking over the Senate become very fairly minimal. So you're exactly right. I think that the the Michigan Senate race is going to be a critical one for who's going to control the Senate uh, next year. But there, there's some Achilles tendon that we need to consider. <clears throat> for example, the vice presidential choice for uh, Joe Biden. Uh, that is dangerous territory. If you recall, who are the angriest people in the country? It's women. And <clears throat> That's always been my experience. <laughs> I'm sorry, but guys, and if you take a look at it, and how well Mrs. Clinton did four years ago, and how people survived, uh, supported her, irrespective of their age, race, and gender, uh, women, they never forgot that. And so if you preferentially choose as a person just based on race, that might be turn the table in favor of the Republicans. Yeah, but I think the vice president, we're, you know, we're going to hear from him probably in, what, a week or so. But I, uh, when I look down the list of, of women that his campaign is supposedly closely considering, I, I, I don't think he can go wrong, honestly. There's there's governors, there's former prosecutors, uh, you, um, you know, U.S. senators, um former leaders of the California Assembly. I, I just think that there are so many fantastic choices that um, he'll do well with whoever. I agree with you, Dane, about the choices, but but the strategy. Uh, you got to remember that women have egos, too, <clears throat> and they have uh, expectation for achievement, and they're the second largest population in the country particularly the white women. Those are is, the ones that we have to think about. And is, are they going to play ball with that kind of a politic? Is there a Otherwise, vice presidential you know, 
is there a, a vice presidential candidate on Biden's list that um, that meets um, all of the all of the criteria for making a good a good running mate? Somebody who um, can can sort of be the attack dog, which vice presidents typically um, are in a campaign for president. Um, who also um, fits the bill in terms of gender and race, but also geography has historically played a role in picking vice presidential candidates. Is is there somebody that hits all of the bullet points? You know, I'm going to add one one more thought. For all the every four years, there's all this discussion about who somebody ought to pick for vice president. You take a look at most studies, when push comes to shove, vice presidents don't make a lot of difference. In fact, actually, if they, if they have any effect at all, if you make a mistake, it can do more damage than good. I'm thinking of Sarah Palin to some degree, maybe Spiro Agnew to some degree. But if you take a look, at, except for Lyndon Johnson in 1960, the bottom line is, People vote for president. They don't vote much for the vice president. The one yeah, qualification this, this year, yeah, the one qualification this year is Joe Biden's age. I mean, that's that's a yeah. big thing. I think his age and competency. Yeah, yeah. prestige. Yeah, so somebody, the chances are, th- this is what people are looking at. Uh, that the vice president will ultimately become president. This is what they are thinking. But white women, being the second most populous segment of the population in line of ascension should, as they would perceive it, be second in order to become the first president. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know whether that makes sense to you guys, but it does to me. Are you saying that the the VP would be the natural nominee in 2024? Oh, no, the VP uh, could uh, perform a lot of functions that President Biden will refuse to, to perform oh, because of uh, his difficulty. So you're, you're really looking at age as an important factor because yeah. there's a greater likelihood that a vice president would survive the president. Yes, yes. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Okay. The top negotiators on the next round of emergency economic relief cited a productive meeting Monday afternoon as they sought to build momentum toward an agreement. The somewhat positive tone sought to obscure a cold reality, according to people briefed on the talks. The two sides remain nowhere near a deal. How much will the realities of this year's election influence the nature and outcome of another emergency economic relief bill? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I would enormously. I think <laughs> I would. I'm with you. Be, yeah, I think people are good. The 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 the, the, the candidates are going to want to see those headless checks in the mail before election day, and and, and during the whole campaign. Really. And that's from both parties, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do think back to our conversation of, of you know outside of the ideal world, who are voters going to blame more? And, and rightly or wrongly, the incumbent president is the one who gets most harshly judged. He's the one who's up for re-election. Mm-hmm. And um, this is another case where 
you know, it, you know, him and Mitch McConnell haven't even been able within their own party to come up with a common game plan. You know, President Trump's stimulus bill, you know, went to Capitol Hill and was basically dead by lunchtime because they hadn't even talked about it beforehand. And I, it's hard yeah. to understand wh- what kind of victory he thinks he's getting in that in that posture. Um, he's the one who's on the ballot, and first and foremost, voters are going to be judging his performance. Uh, he can try to blame it on Nancy Pelosi all she wants, but uh, I guarantee you Nancy Pelosi's getting reelected. Um, it's so it's interesting right, Dana, was, that you say that. Go ahead, Paul. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say that in May, what's really surprising is for all of his role as a deal maker, Trump has been surprisingly absent in, in all the negotiations here. I mean, whatever's going on in, in the Congress, for the most part, Trump has played minimal role in that whole process. Well, the last couple of weeks, there have been some real tough news cycles for the president. Yeah. Um, president Donald Trump uh, downplayed the legacy of the late civil rights icon John Lewis in a new interview, instead repeatedly pointing to the Georgia Democrats' decision to not attend his 2017 inauguration. He should have come. I think he made a big mistake, he said. Trump's willingness to hold a grudge against what he perceives as personal slights, even against those who have passed away, such as Senator John McCain, has been a hallmark of his public image for decades, though as president it's remarkable that he would not praise Lewis, who at the time of his passing last month was widely recognized as a hero of the civil rights movement. News of his death was met with widespread uh, mourning and praise for his accomplishments, and he had laid in state in the U.S. Capitol. Trump declined to pay his respects to Lewis. Is the president doing himself a disservice when he posthumously disrespects former public servants like John Lewis and John McCain? Yes. I may ask you, I think that was a mistake. And I said to myself, and I said on Facebook, uh, on a message to a friend, that that was a mistake. And uh, <clears throat> But it was counteracted by what President Obama did, used that funeral service as a platform to, to berate the president. So maybe these things will cancel out. Well, this past February, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg reached the halfway mark of an unprecedented Supreme Court term, staring down uh, what would be a momentous spring. Behind closed doors, the justices had already cast preliminary votes on disputes concerning immigration, LGBTQ rights, and the Second Amendment, and they had voted to add even more blockbuster cases to an already bursting docket on issues related to Uh, abortion, Obamacare, and President Donald Trump's tax returns. Unbeknownst to the public, however, Ginsburg was battling another front. On the cusp of her 87th birthday, routine health scans in February revealed a recurrence of cancer with new lesions on her liver. Departing from her usual practice of transparency on medical issues, Ginsburg, one of the most important women in the United States, decided to withhold the news from the public while her doctors settled on a treatment plan. She only disclosed the diagnosis some five months later after the term was over. 
Ginsburg made a choice. Instead of turning the public's attention to her precarious health, she focused on the battle for her legacy. At key moments, as her health challenges intersected with the court's work, she dove in to fight for issues that have defined her career in areas such as abortion, voting rights, the death penalty, and women's preventive health. Liberals were surprised and relieved to find themselves on the winning side of some critical cases that conventional wisdom predicted would be losses. The wins came as Chief Justice uh, John Roberts sided with the left side of the bench, but arguably Ginsburg's experience and seniority helped shape the reasoning from the bench and behind closed doors in a way that a younger, less experienced justice may not have. With all of the health battles, of course, people have been watching uh, RBG for a while. Um, If uh, the Democrats or most people believe it's going to be Joe Biden. If a Democrat, if Joe Biden wins the White House, do you think she'll retire? No. Oh, I, I would think I would think so at that point. If Biden's there, I would think she, she probably would at that point. Um, you know, for the first six months of 2021, uh, if, that's a big if, but uh, I would think so. <laughs> well, one of the comments you made and I read is that. It's her choice to retire. Yeah, yeah. She's appointed for life. If she feels like it, she will. If she won't, she has a and, 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 and Henry says, I think it may depend, of course, on future health conditions that she's facing, but uh, clearly she's had some, some challenges in the last year or so. But as I say, she's been through a lot before and, and come back uh, to hang on for, for a number of years, so who knows, but... I would suspect that'd be a certainly within the next four years. I think that's a highly likely option. Um, we've got uh, a few minutes left, and, and uh, Paul always sends me, um, and I'm not sure if I got to everything on the list here because I jumped around a little bit, but um, Paul had brought up something uh, in an email yesterday that I wanted to um, bring up and see how people feel about this because it's something happening locally but all over the country as well and that is uh, the process of opening public schools and that's um, creating a lot of controversy and a lot of challenges Um, what what exactly is the the answer Um, should we just kind of reconsider how we do education and and avoid classrooms at least for this coming school year what what how should we be addressing public education right now in in the midst of a pandemic well there's no real uh good reason to do one thing or another because people are are divided in what should be done. Government is divided. Courts are invited. Everybody's invited. Divided. So I think the best thing to do is let people all have it their own way. Develop. Like we're seeing a, with Grand uh, Blank schools. They're coming up pardon? with a, like we're seeing with Grand Blank schools. They're coming up with a, a hybrid of. Um, Kids, you know, some kids learning at home, some kids in the classroom. Yeah, then, yeah, then but that's probably them. how all of them do. But I was thinking of something else. 
give each child and family a voucher. And then just let them go as they will. Take their risk as they will. Strive but to use to the but to use the voucher but to use the voucher where, Henry? Vouchers have been a way of vouchers can be used I'm talking about the everybody has with a voucher you may go to school or you may stay at home. Or you may follow your parents' directive or the directions of your political party or whatever. But you have a choice in the matter. And there are 14% of the people in this country, uh, students, that will achieve in any condition. They will be there. You know, I think, and, I think a lot of know, people are going to decide after having experienced um, homeschooling during the... Uh, end of the last yeah. school year and as we get into this school year and and that raises an interesting question um and and you brought it up henry with uh with the the idea of vouchers should public funding be considered to help underwrite the cost of homeschooling now that's a consideration that's out there and i believe in the in the material that i'm close to is that uh, that may be part of the solution. You, uh, you, provide, you, you assure every child, in public education at least, and, and every child everywhere, under all circumstances, a voucher that allows them to participate in a free and public education. The voucher does that, the concept of it. I was going to say, one concern I've got about the upcoming school year is that it could be just enormously chaotic, where you open the schools for a while, somebody gets sick, and then you have to close them down, and they bring them back, and then somebody gets sick again, you close them down. I mean, I can see just, as I say, the very chaotic arrangement where schools are opening and closing in various ways, and this other applies to colleges, too, where you open up uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan State, and all of a sudden there's an outbreak at some dormitory or fraternity house, what do you do? Do you close down just the one building or the whole thing? And the students have all gone to two dozen different classes. It can really be a very confusing kind of thing, and, and say very chaotic. And that's that's what concerns me about the fall. That's what we're we're yeah. seeing that with uh, with professional sports already. Oh uh, right, right, yeah. That's exactly yeah, what. But, <clears throat> but younger people have less risk. But they bring it back to their to their parents or their I know, but they they the risk is still the same. Yeah, they're in a different risk group. Yeah, particularly those in so far K through twelve education. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the rest of the people at higher risk, you know, uh, they're not the problem. We want to get our kids back to um, a formal education if we can. Well, but but then you know, of course, the the concern isn't um, that that the kids will suffer; it's that they will carry the disease to lots of other places, and it will continue mm-hmm. to spread and grow, and that they can they can put at risk populations more at risk um, just by being carriers. Um, it's it's a it's a tough. Uh, it's a tough call. Well, we're but we don't have a pilot. There's no pilot that demonstrates that, Tom. We have not done a pilot yet. Well, hopefully, hopefully the various things that are being tried, maybe one will emerge. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. 
we got to take a short break. We'll come back with my favorite part of armchair politics, the X-Files. When we return, we'll let our broadcast partners uh, squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. And we have some messages as well. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. It may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to Armchair Politics and my favorite part, uh, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files, starting with uh, Rhode Island mistakenly sent more than 175 tax refund checks signed by Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse rather than the state (laughs) treasurer and controller. The Rhode Island Division of Taxation uses the signatures on test files, which were mistakenly printed on the real checks and sent out on Monday. <laughs> no other signature. No, no other signature lines were printed besides the two, uh, according to Chief of Staff for the Rhode Island Department of Revenue, um, which includes the Taxation Division. Mickey Mouse is the cartoon character, of course, that was animator and producer Walt Disney's first big hit. The checks were tax refunds for corporate sales and tax credits, mostly to businesses. Uh, the Tax Division has voided the checks and will issue new checks signed by General Treasurer Seth Magaziner and uh, State Controller Peter Keenan within one week. Do you think any of the 175 check recipients wondered if the Disney checks might have been better than the ones from Rhode Island? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and another thing, it's no wonder no wonder Rhode Island is a, the uh, small guy on the block. I'm getting feedback. Oh, thank you, Henry. That there you go. Yeah, it. I'm getting some echo, too. Yeah. That Can you hear me? No. Yep. Did you no, hear what he had to say? Do you hear my comment? Yeah. Okay, thank you. I was, I was going to say, at least they weren't signed by Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one today. Well, there, there are some, some weird ones today. New Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Jill Karofsky has finished her 100-mile ultramarathon after being sworn in mid-run. Karofsky, who finished the run Sunday, was sworn in around 1 p.m. Saturday at the 35-mile marker of her route in uh, south-central Wisconsin. State Supreme Court Justice uh, Rebecca Dallet administered the oath of office. Uh, Karofsky began running Saturday at 6 a.m. and uh, 
Reportedly, the run took her about 34 hours to complete. Karofsky shared an image of herself at mile 99 on Twitter uh, around 3 p.m. Sunday. The liberal-leaning Karofsky defeated incumbent Daniel Kelly in April to narrow the court's conservative majority to 4-3. to three. Is there a decorum concern with a justice to the state Supreme Court being sworn in during a foot race? <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> yeah, I, it's the first time I've heard of something like that, but... <laughs> yes, I don't know. Definitely making the rest of us feel pretty lazy. I, I just—that's true. That's true, Dave. Yeah. Well, GOP State Representative Jonathan Stickland um, was mocked after suggesting that aliens would have to accept Jesus Christ as their savior if they want to visit heaven. A Texas state representative alienated many Twitter users Friday with his comments on extraterrestrials after the New York Times posted a story about the Pentagon's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. Republican Representative Jonathan Stickland suggested that if ETs exist, they will need extra help if they want to get to heaven. Stickland described himself as a Christian conservative liberty-loving Republican, but many of his Twitter followers weren't impressed with the theological implications of his tweet. Um, does, uh, does he mean that extraterrestrials will have a difficult time getting into Earth heaven? That shouldn't be hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And finally, here's, here's one. Um, <laughs> money laundering is not a good idea, as a South Korean found out when he or she put banknotes in a washing machine to remove possible traces of the coronavirus. <laughs> Officials say the loss was considerable. The person living in uh, Anson City near Seoul placed an unspecified amount of 50,000 won bills, they equal about $42, in a washing machine earlier, that each, that is. Um, he put the bills in a washing machine earlier this year. Some of the money was seriously damaged, and the person reached out to the Bank of Korea to find whether it could be exchanged for new bills. Under bank rules, uh, on the exchange of damaged, mutilated, and contaminated banknotes, the person was provided with the new currency totaling about 23 million won, or $19,320. The Bank of Korea said in a statement, uh, bank official uh, C.O.G. Woon said the number of 50,000 won bills the bank exchanged at half value was 507. She said the bank doesn't count the number of bills that it cannot exchange because they're too badly damaged. She said bank officials didn't know exactly how much money the person tried to wash. She said the loss would still be considerable. Um, do you suppose next time they might consider using ultraviolet light to sanitize money? Uh, <laughs> that might, that's much better than money laundering, that, I think. Yeah, that is that is their scientific way. I'm surprised someone in Japan did that. Well, it was it was actually Korea, South yeah, Korea. Don't, Korea. Don't try to wash or bleach your money. 
Anybody there? Yep, I'm still here. Okay. Did we lose Henry? anybody? I heard no. some static. No, I can hear you. My my joke was don't try to wash or bleach your money. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have lost yeah. Henry. No, I'm still here. Okay, okay. okay. Right. I'll, I'll please. Yeah, I heard that static too, Paul, and I I thought, yeah. like you did, that maybe we lost somebody. That may be coming from Washington. <laughs> <laughs> you saying that's business as usual, Henry? <laughs> yes. Or it's probably some ET trying to get into heaven. That um, could be it too. But uh, anyway, we've got about uh, oh about two and a half minutes left in the show. That wraps up armchair politics. But any. Uh, any final thoughts on uh, yesterday's election or the news over the past uh, week? It's actually been a couple of weeks since uh, we got together. Yeah. Do you have like any say, results from Thetford Township? Because I think uh, that was kind of interesting what went on in Thetford Township. There were no members who ran for the, uh, for the township board that were listed on the Democrat side. They were all on the Republican side. And only the mayor or the township supervisor were left alone on the on the Democrat side. So I'd like to know how that election came out. Do you have any results I, on that? I, yet? You know, I don't. Um, and uh, I, I didn't realize until I talked to you yesterday that there was that this was even going on. But no Democrats ran in an area that normally would elect Democrats. And and Henry was saying yesterday. He thinks that uh, the Thetford Township Board is now going to switch over and become Republican because they were the only ones who ran in the primary. Yeah, I'm looking at hey, Henry. Yes. It's all, uh, all Republicans here, uh, most of them unopposed for the various roles in Thetford Township. Um, well, they they could have been right in, but right in is a thing. That yeah, yeah, there, there's, there's one here. One of the trustees has got a serious contest where... The votes are divided rather equally in four or five different ways um, for one of the trustees. But, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, the other ones rather uh, unopposed. My, my only thought was that uh, in terms of the, the, the mail-in voting, we know there were some glitches, but it sounds like what I've heard so far is that generally it went reasonably well, considering it was the first really large election we've tried this, that... Um, for a, for a trial run, my my initial reaction is it wasn't what wasn't all that bad, and we may work out some of the other glitches by by November. I hope could be well, the way of the future. Well, what party won in that jurisdiction? In what Pepper Township? Yes. Well, of course. I mean, that won't be decided till November. That's November. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I but I'm talking about in the, in the primary. Oh, I, yeah, but they, they are run as, re, as Republicans. Well, that wraps it up, yeah. guys. We've we got to end it there. But uh, okay. thanks Thank to um, okay. former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Dane, it's always a pleasure to have you be part of the group. You're welcome. Good talking with you. Good everyone. to have you here, Dane. Thank you, Dane. And, and, of course, to our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you, guys. It's great uh, getting back together again. We'll, we'll talk again it next is. week. Thank you. And that smoking George means I got to head down the hall to the living room. So I'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Sumner Program is a live variety show.
want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.